This morning's scripture text comes from uh, Psalm 32. Listen to these verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. There's programming down the hall for them. And to the rest of you, we want to welcome you to Community Christian Church at 11 o'clock. We are thankful that you are here to worship with us. If you are joining us uh, Facebook Live, we are also glad that you are joining in during this time with us in worship. Pray first. That's kind of a mantra that we've tried to get going around this place. Pray first before the day starts. Pray first before uh, your meal. Pray first before an appointment, before a conversation, before the class. Pray first before the game, before you send that post out, before you make that purchase, before you take that trip. Pray first before the sermon. How about that? Pray first. And so here it is. Let's pray. God, give us this moment. Move us in this moment. Be with us in this moment. All the people said, amen. There it is. Pray first. Prayer needs to become our first response, not our last resort. And so to help, we've been looking at, uh, over the series of a few weeks, some little prayers that some are just a few words long that we can use to make prayer a central part of our life. And the bonus to these prayers is that these are prayers that God will always say yes to. Always yes. Not maybe, not not now, not no. These are prayers that he, he says, uh, they're not prayers he says yes to sometimes or most times or once in a while. These are prayers that God says yes to all the time. And so we've talked about, Lord, teach me to pray. We've talked about, Lord, save me. We've talked about, God, please get me through this. These are little prayers that we can use every day. We, last week, we talked about this prayer, God, give me wisdom, okay? And the challenge is to begin to pray these prayers, to incorporate them into our everyday lives, and then just sit back and see what happens. Watch what God, the good Father, will do in your life as a result of praying these prayers. And so today's prayer is very simple but very hard, it is this, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. This little three-word prayer is found in Psalm 32. Not in so many words, but this is what the psalm is about. The psalm is written by Israel's greatest king, David, and he was Israel's greatest king, but he was certainly not a perfect king. Uh, David had massive faults, massive 
uh, failures in his life. And Psalm 32 is his master course to us on what to do with our missteps in life. And so today we're just going to follow down through the text. We're going to let it speak to the times that we don't quite get things right in our life. And so the first two lines start this way. Blessed, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so let's start this way. David is telling us, first of all, that there is great blessing when we pray this prayer. When we say, God, forgive me, there is blessing that will come into our lives. Now, maybe you've uh, had this experience. You are in bed. You're put away for the night. You are trying to get to sleep, but uh, you can't get to sleep because outside the window, across the yard, across the fence from you, there is a dog, right? And that dog is going yap, 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 bark, 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 nonstop. You cannot get to sleep. And then suddenly, as if it never happened at all, the dog shuts up. And it's this, ah, that's the way life is supposed to be, right? This is the way the night is supposed to go. Or maybe it's this. Maybe you've had an experience along the way with a bad speaker. Not a bad speaker. I know that's true. A bad speaker, okay? A bad speaker. Maybe you're listening to music and, and all of a sudden there's the crackling, there's a popping, there's something wrong with the wiring, there's a hum or the buzz, and, it, and it, it's irritating, right? But then it just disappears. And you realize, oh, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. Or maybe... You're a seasonal allergy sufferer, anybody out there, and you are suffering for whatever reason with just a stuffy nose, and you're just trying to get by, and you're just trying to breathe throughout the day, and then all of a sudden, maybe something happens in the air, maybe the pollen count goes down, something happens, and you just clear up, oh, man, that's the way life is supposed to be, that relief when the irritation in your life just goes away. That's the mood of this psalm. Some of you heard, God forgive me as the prayer today, and you immediately thought, uh-oh, uh-oh, here we go. Here we go. And you are braced right now in your chair for a punch or two. You're, you're ready for a sermonic bloody nose, <laughs> something like that. But David says, no, 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 it's not that way. Right out of the gate, he said, it's, it's, it's the opposite. It's not pain. There's blessing. When we're forgiven, it's like when the dogs stop barking. It's like when the music gets crystal clear. It's like when we can breathe again. All is right with the world. In these first two lines, David writes of four different problems that we all have. Uh, he uses four different words to describe the pro our problem. One is transgression. It means an offense. It means to break a command that is clearly known. A transgression is when there is a line drawn in the sand and we intentionally go over it. The sign says no parking and we park there anyway. That's transgression. He says number two is sin. 
Sin literally means to miss the mark in Scripture. Sin is when I'm aiming at a target, but I can't hit it no matter how hard I try. I want to be a better version of myself, but so far that's been an epic fail. That's sin. Iniquity is guilt. That's another word for it. It's the awful feeling of knowing that we're not right with the world. It's the regret that comes after we fail. The fourth word that he uses is deceit. Deceit is this vain attempt that we, we make to pretend that everything is okay after we've done something wrong. We say, oh, nothing to see here. We just go on as if nothing had no problem here. Ignore that my leg is spiritually chopped off. It's merely a flesh wound. I've had worse, right? David is pointing out here that there's a reality of sin in our lives, and that's what these words mean. mean. All, all of our lives are riddled with transgressions and sin and inequity and deceit. It's, it's kind of like we pulled up to the gas station and we took the wrong pump out of the hand, handle out of the pump and and instead of unleaded, we filled the car with diesel. And now we're running down the road and we hear the engine sputter and it's going wrong and there's constant aggravation that the car's not running right. But, but then when it's fixed, when we finally flush that system and we get the right fuel, ah, this is the way it's supposed to be. The first thing right out of the gate that we learn from David's words is this that you will never understand the blessing of forgiveness until you first realize the absolute destruction and pain that sin is causing in your life. There was a minister who was uh, visiting a businessman out in his office one day, and, and they were chatting. And as they were chatting, the minister pointed to a picture of this man and his wife that was behind him on the shelf. And then as he turned around, he said, he said, nice picture. And as he turned around and looked at the businessman, he noticed this businessman had tears in his eyes. And he was like, oh, oh my goodness, why are you crying? Did I say something wrong? What, what, what's going on? He said, no, 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 no. I just, I just need you to know that there was a time in our marriage where I was unfaithful to my wife. And she found out about it. And she was so deeply hurt and so deeply injured that she was going to just leave me and take the kids with her. And I was so overwhelmed at the mistake that I had made. I, I shut the, the affair down, and I, I went to my wife in total brokenness. I did not deserve it at all. I knew that, but I asked her to forgive me, and she did. And this picture that you just pointed to, that picture was taken shortly after that. And so when I see this picture, I, I see a woman who forgave me. I see a woman who is willing to stand with me in this picture. When you see the picture, you just say, nice picture. But when I see the picture, I see my life given back to me. When we pray, God, forgive me, David is telling us that it's like getting our life given back to us again. There's blessing there's happiness. I think David even means to imply that there's a celebration that happens. That's the tone of Psalm 32. There's happiness. There's joy. The cloud is over with. The heavy, dark feelings inside get replaced with a sense of newness and possibility. When you have been forgiven, your life will change in a way that nothing else will achieve. You're blessed. 
when you're given your life back. Look where David goes next. It's exactly the opposite direction. Verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though, though my groaning, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And so, while there is blessing when we pray, God, forgive me, there is misery when we don't. David in these lines, shifts to his personal experience of sin in his life. And it's pretty decided on the pe- by the people that study these things that Psalm 32 is David's commentary on his specific sin involving one of his generals in his army named Uriah and Uriah's wife Bathsheba. Maybe you have heard of that story. It's a famous story. If, if you don't think you know it, but you've ever seen Shrek and you've uh, heard the Leonard Cohen song in the middle of Shrek, then you've heard it whether you realize it or not. And the thumbnail of the story of David and Bathsheba is that David is the king, and it's the time of season when all the, all the soldiers go off to war, but here David stays behind in Jerusalem, and he's just twiddling his thumbs, and he sees a married woman that he wants for himself, and so he orchestrates things so that he can have her and this woman's name is Bathsheba, and the two have an affair. It leads to a child. It ultimately leads to the murder of Bathsheba's husband named Uriah. David intentionally has Uriah put on the front lines of the battlefield where no doubt he will be killed, and he is. And David's story is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it's a story of the abuse of power in the name of lust. It's a story that leads to murder and to deceit and to brokenness. It's the story of transgression, of sin, iniquity, and deceit. There's a reason that David uses all of those words in Psalm 32. And when he was in the middle of this ordeal, I want you to look at how he tried to deal with everything. He tells us right here. He says, this is how I tried to deal with it. I kept silent. David tried to hide his sin. David tried to exist as if his sin wasn't there. He tried to cover it up, and that's the normal human response when we sin. Dallas Willard tells a a time when his granddaughter was out in their yard playing, and his wife was reading a book uh, out there kind of with her, not really paying attention to the toddler, you know, and the next thing uh, she knows, the, the grandchild has begun to play in some mud in the yard. And so Nana looked up from her book, and she, uh, she huffed a little, and she got the kid over, and she cleaned her all up, and she said, no more playing in the mud, okay? And then she turned her chair so that she could keep a closer eye on things, and you know what's going to happen. Like, it wasn't uh, just a few minutes before this kid made her way back to the mud, and as she did, she, she caught her Nana's eye on her. And so she said this, Nana, don't look at me, okay? And by that time, Nana was a little more understanding. And so what could it hurt to play in the mud a little bit? And so she said nothing, and she just kind of let it happen. And, and the child went back to the mud. And the whole time she was playing in the mud, every couple of minutes, she would check in with Nana and say, don't look at me, Nana, okay? You're not looking, right? Nana, don't watch me. And Dallas Willard writes about that backyard incident, and he says this. 
Thus, the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is for us that we be unobserved in our wrong. When we sin, this is what we do. We hide. We do not want to be seen. There's actually another prayer that we pray in order to try to hide our sin. Instead of God forgive me, it's exactly the opposite of God forgive me. It's this, God, don't look at me. Don't look at me, God. When I click through to that website, don't, don't, don't look at me, God. When we're taking a test and we need a little help from the cheat sheet, we say, God, don't, don't look at me, okay? We're at lunch with friends and the special of the day is roast spouse or roast boss or roast neighbor, and we join in, and as we do, we just say, God, would you just not look this way for just a few minutes while we have this conversation, okay? We're filling out the title on the car we just bought, and we come to the price we paid that will be used to assess taxes. We say, God, look, what's, up, what's that over there? Hoping that God will turn his head so that we can write a dollar, right? Cool. Okay, God, you don't need to worry about what's there anymore. I'm good. God, don't look at me, might be one of our most common and least acknowledged prayers that we pray. We, we're probably not even aware that we pray it most times, but as David admits, sinners sin. Sinners hide. Sinners try to cover themselves. That's what David did. He tells us. He, he resorted to trickery. He deceived. He put spin on the events that happened to try to hide what really went down. And he says that all that effort to hide, to try to keep his sin silent, here's what it brought him, only misery in the end. There is a price to pay when we pray, God, don't look at me, okay? Don't look at me. I want you to pay attention to how David describes his state when he was silent and he was trying to hide his sin. He says, my bones wasted away. He said, my body groaned all through the day. He said, God's hand was heavy on him. So there was this constant heaviness, this, this crushing burden, this weight. He said, my strength dried up just like on a hot, humid summer day. He said, I felt the same as when the oppressive heat just zaps you of all your energy. You know those summer days. We've had them here in the last couple of weeks where you just step out on the porch or outside your door and you just say, nope. And you go back in, right? If I go out there, I'm going to be a dehydrated raisin. That's what I'm going to become. And he's describing here what we've all felt, this physiological response our body has to a troubled conscience. When we are troubled, when we sin, the mind spins, the stomach turns, sleep is difficult, things weigh more than they should on our shoulders. And so, you won't be surprised by this. Researchers have actually found that lying takes a massive amount of toll on our physical bodies compared to just telling the truth, no matter what that truth might be. And David knew that before Cornell University did. It's right here. There is misery in hiding and keeping our sin silent. And David's good news to us is this, that we can be free of that misery at absolutely any time. We don't have to go a single minute longer 
with this oppressive weight. It can be gone in one instance. We just pray, God, forgive me. That wasn't an easy place for David to come to. Uh, he had to be, if you read the story, he had to be kicked in the pants a little bit by a close friend who pointed out his wrong. But he actually did eventually get to the point where he prayed, God, forgive me. Verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. He says, I acknowledge my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions. I confessed them. The, the word confession biblically in Scripture has the idea of saying the same thing as. And so when we confess, we are saying the same thing about our sin as God would say about our sin. And so David here is confessing. He's saying the same thing about his sin that God would say about his sin. It was wrong. It was evil. It was hurtful. It ended in death. And he didn't keep it in anymore. He let it out. He didn't try to hide it anymore. Instead of covering it up, he says, I uncovered it before God. One of the earlier memories of my life, uh, I do not know why I remember this. Uh, maybe you're with me in that. There are just some things that are there, and you just remember them. You don't know why. I, was, I couldn't have been more than three or four years old, and my parents were gone that night, and they had left me with a babysitter who was uh, a teenager uh, from across the street. And I don't remember, like I said, anything else about that night, but I do remember the, the commotion that this preteen babysitter made as my parents wheeled into the driveway at the end of the night because uh, the night had led to this massive mess on the middle of the living room floor. I think she might have, along the way, invited a friend to help her babysit, right? You know how that goes. And the floor uh, was littered with bowls and silverware and cups and leftover food and we must have had a movie night in front of the 19-inch zenith, I don't know, or maybe they had a party and I wasn't invited, I'm not really sure, but as the headlights of the car hit the living room, she knew she was cooked, right? There was, there's no time to clean up the mess, and so this is what I remember so vividly. She ran to the couch where there was a blanket, and she got this blanket off the couch, and she gathered all the mess into the middle of the floor, and then she just covered it up with the, middle, with the blanket. And I could tell that she was pretty proud of herself for this thought, but even as a toddler, I remember thinking, that's not going to work. <laughs> you obviously don't know Billy Joe Drake. Or you would never try a trick like that. You just cover it up and think it's going to be taken care of. Here's David's testimony to us. Misery is when you try to cover your own sin. Blessing is when God covers it for you. David says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The word forgave means to, to be released, to, to loosen your grip on something. So the phrase means that the blessed person is not a perfect person, but it means that the blessed person is a forgiven person. It means that God did not count David's sin against him. He released his sin instead of holding it against David. God let it go from David. David's misery was carried away. And probably the most significant thing here, it's in verse 5 and it's also in verse 1. They're both on the screen. This it's the passive voice that is used. 
Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the ones whose sins are covered. And in verse 5 here, it's you forgave my sin. The passive voice means that someone else is doing the forgiving here. Forgiveness always has to come from the outside. Somebody else has to come in and lift up and carry our oppressive burden away. If we flip all the way to the beginning of the book, where God created Adam and Eve, we would read that every night God met with Adam and Eve and they would walk together in the cool of the day. And as they walked together, the text says that Adam and Eve were uncovered. It says they were naked. Some of you have read that. You know that. And they were naked and it was okay. It was normal for them to be uncovered. And then one day, God shows up to have their daily walk, and all of a sudden, these two, Adam and Eve, they dive into the bushes, and they hide. And that's not normal. And so God says, what's wrong with you two? And they say, we hid, we covered ourselves because we were uncovered. We are naked. Now, that's silly because nothing has changed. They've always walked with God uncovered. But you and I know the story, right? In between the walks with God, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've, they've done what God asked them not to do. They became their own God. They called their own shots. Sin came into their hearts, and now everything has changed. Now, they can't bear the fact that they are uncovered. They can no longer be uncovered in front of God. They can no longer stand to have Him Look at them and see them all the way through. They were once perfect. They were once beautiful and uncorrupted. And so when they were in that state, they did not mind being seen that way. But once they sinned, there was this stain. They lost their righteousness. They weren't perfect anymore. And now they can't stand being seen. And so what do they do? They head into the bushes. They decide they will cover themselves. They sew leaves together to cover themselves and sin, ever since then, has led all of us, you and me, to do the same ever since. You and I cover ourselves every day. And I'm not just talking about clothing. It goes deeper than that, way deeper. We cover ourselves with the project that we're involved in. We cover ourselves with the work that we do. We cover ourselves with accolades, with family, with appearance, with identity. We want to be beautiful again. And we know we're not. And so we cover ourselves with whatever we think will make us beautiful again. And here's what God says to Adam and Eve. And I think this is what David discovered as well in Psalm 32. He says this, If you cover yourself, I will never be able to cover you. But if you're willing to uncover yourself and be transparent to show me your sin then I can cover you once again in beauty and in righteousness. The power of the prayer, God forgive me, is that when I uncover my sins before God, He will then cover me. And that's a huge, huge, huge promise. Isaiah chapter 1, Though your sins be scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Isaiah 61, For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Zechariah 3, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with pure 
vestments. And here in Psalm 32, David says, I didn't cover my own sin, God covered it for me. That's what he's saying. And so when we pray, God, forgive me, God says yes, and he covers our sin. Now, how does he do that? How is this promise true? Why will God always say yes to this prayer when we pray it? God, forgive me. It's because of what's up in verse 2. I want you to look there again. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We are blessed. Another word is happiness. Like we said, when we pray, God, forgive me. Why? Because God no longer holds our sins against us anymore. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. I want you to think about that phrase, the man. Who is David talking about here, the man? Well, it's pretty clear that it's, it's all of us, right? Blessed is the man. Blessed, is, blessed are all of us when our sin is not held against us. But it's not every one of us, is it? It can't be. There's one man against whom God did count iniquity. There's one man on whom God did place every sin and every transgression. Isaiah says it this way, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, with his wounds we are healed. Colossians 2 says it this way, that God made us alive together with him, meaning Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. In other words, God put the debt of sin on Jesus at the cross. And so now God can cover our sins because His covering is not a cover-up. God doesn't get surprised by the lights hitting the living room uh, wall and, and try to rush to the couch to get the blanket out. He sees the mess that we've made because of sin, and He doesn't just cover it up. He actually puts it somewhere. The Scriptures tell us that He puts all sin of all people on Jesus so that Jesus was now covered with our sin and it crushed him. One of the little details of the cross that as we talk about Jesus suffering and, and going to the cross and all of the events that led up to that, one of the events we just pass it over as if it's nothing, but, but what if it's something? You probably remember that Jesus was stripped naked to endure his suffering. Jesus was uncovered. His clothes were removed from him. Soldiers even gambled for them. They, they went home with them that day. Somebody went home with the clothes of Jesus. They were never given back. What if that uncovering has ties to the garden as Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves? What if the stripping of Jesus ties to us. As every day we get up and we button ourselves up so that we appear beautiful and worthy. Here is Jesus, the Savior who is unclothed so that we can be clothed. He's stripped down so that our sin can be covered up. 
We can live in misery with our sin by trying to cover it ourselves. Or we can confess to God and have peace. God, forgive me. How happy are the ones, David says, who praise God, forgive me, and have their sins covered. Last two lines today. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time where you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You're, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. In these last few lines, we have instruction about our sin from David himself. This is what he's going to tell us to do today. This, these are your action steps. Number one, turn to God. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer. Turn to God and pray, God, forgive me. Notice who is turning and doing the prayer. It's not the wicked. It's the godly. It's the Hasidim, the faithful, that's the word. And so, even if you're in church today, even if you're a faithful part of Community Christian Church, you cannot say you are without sin. No one is exempt from this prayer. In fact, Jesus told us to do the same thing. When he taught us how to pray, he said, forgive us our trespasses. He said, pray that, pray that. So turn to God. Here's number two, while there is time. The phrase here uh, in the rush of mighty waters is kind of an interesting one. In the middle of a rush of mighty waters, the prayer, God forgive me, here's what David says, it may not be heard. It may not be heard. It may be in vain. There are a couple of great forces on our planet that we have to deal with. Fire is one of those forces. And just this last week, we saw the force and how much energy it takes to fight a fire. By the way, a few weeks ago, we learned the prayer, Lord, save us, right? What a great prayer to tweak just a little bit for our friends who are suffering a great loss this week in our town. Lord, save them. Lord, save them. But fire can usually be quenched, and thankfully this last week it was. The other great force that we contend with is water. Water is different altogether. If you get enough water coming at you, there's not one thing you can do about it except to try to get out of its way. You can't quench a rush of water like you can a fire. And so this rush of great waters that Davis is talking about is a symbol for chaos. It's a symbol for judgment. David is referring to the last day here. He's referring to the day that this world ends and eternity begins. And for some of us, that last day might be far off. But for some of us, that last day might be today. Whenever it is, when that last day comes, it will be too late for you to pray, God, forgive me. God promises forgiveness, but God does not promise us tomorrow. And so pray this prayer while you can, and that means today. Maybe some of you for the very first time need to pray that prayer today. God, forgive me.
I'm a sinner. Third, find covering. Find covering in the salvation that Jesus offers today. There is this relief, David says, when Jesus takes your sin away. It's like God becomes a hiding place. And there's release and freedom when he preserves us from trouble. And there's protection when our sins are gone. And so what Jesus does with our sin is that he throws them into his own tomb and he buries them there and they never have a resurrection. The resurrection isn't for our sin. The resurrection is for us. Life outside the tomb is for us. Songs of victory and celebration and dancing. They're for us. And all it takes today is to say, God, forgive me. Would you pray that prayer as we sing today? Would you stand? Let's sing together.